be one journalist of the year from the American Conservative Union at CPAC 2015. You like me right now. You like me. He's Jim Garrity. How do you like me now? Now that I'm on my She's a broadcast professional who's got pop culture by the throat, and she won't let go. Crank up the radio. Run for your lives, everyone. This is not a drill. She's broadcast pro Mickey White. This is the Jim and Mickey Show. Welcome to the Jim and Mickey Show, brought to you this week by Pope Paris, your number one choice for Pope Francis merchandise. We're the best source for all of your papal visit tchotchkes, whether it's T-shirts, buttons, Red Slippers, Gluten-Free Eucharist, or the officially unlicensed commemorative handguns. At Potpourri <laughs> Merchandising, we're driven by a strong faith that we can get that camel through the eye of that needle. <laughs> so come on down and have your kids pet our golden calf. And remember, Friday is steak night in our store cafe. <laughs> I am Tim Carty, joined by Mickey White. On the special Pope Francis edition of the Jim and Mickey show, uh, we are taping this during his visit. I had a chance to see him yesterday, and um, we will try to be respectful to his holiness. Um, <laughs> Too late. <laughs> well, yeah, starting now, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> I don't really have to answer to him. I only have to answer to his fans, so that's really important for me to note, and and welcome back to everyone. I want to clarify that we're not going to be talking about the Pope the entire episode, but (laughs) as my co-host so humbly bragged, he did have the opportunity to see the Pontiflex, is that correct? Pontiflex, there's no L. There's no L, so Pontifex. That's right. Pontiflex is his workout program. (laughs) Okay. That must be what I see in the middle of the night on the infomercials. (laughs) But as I was saying, Jim actually had the opportunity to see him this week in person, which is a really big deal because, I mean, it's like Pope mania everywhere. It is. Uh, And we know from past history that, you know, the United States gets a visit from a pope maybe once a decade or so. Uh, this does not happen very frequently, and it. Uh, I should clarify, though, thanks, thanks to the uh, generosity of a good friend, I received a ticket to the uh, White House welcoming ceremony for Ooh. Pope Francis, which sounds like a really big deal. And I'm picturing myself there and, and the president and the first lady, and uh, it turned out only 14,999 of my closest friends were able to join, Mickey. Uh, ha, very you say exclusive I saw the is what you're suggesting. Yeah. When you say I saw the Pope, I should clarify. I well, saw I those were pretty like, I mean, it sounds like a lot of people, but considering the number of people who want to see the Pope, that's actually a pretty small number. I mean, like you can go to a concert to see the Rolling Stones and like 50,000 people can go. Yeah. Um, I will say that this was a, uh, for, for all the problems the U.S. Secret Service has had lately, they did a really exceptional job in getting lots and lots of people onto the White House grounds, the South Lawn. Um, now, when I say I got to see the Pope, I really should clarify, Mickey. I got to see the very tippy top of the Pope mobile. <laughs> I'm sorry, you of, got to see the tippy top of the what? The Pope mobile. You know, his oh. special, uh, first a Fiat, and now it's a, I believe it's a Jeep now that is the uh, yes. special glass and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it looks like a phone I booth. I say that it's not, it's not bulletproof glass anymore, and I'm like, and what's the point? Uh, bugs. You know, he's dressed all in white. You don't want that getting those blinding speeds too would just smash any bug all over them. Yeah, when they said that, I was like, "One, why? Why would you announce that? That seems dumb." 
because I'm assuming everyone just assumed it also had bulletproof glass. That's a good point. If there's any deterrent from people presuming it's bulletproof glass, glass, and we and we point out, you know, Pope John Paul was shot back in uh, by a Turk, no less, um, back in the early 1980s, and so. Uh, sadly, we live in a world in which there are threats and things like that. I, I, as far as we know, as of this taping, knocking on wood, uh, the Pope is safe and has been safe for this visit. So again, credit to the uh, U.S. Secret Service and Vatican Security. But yeah, I didn't get to see very much. It's now the state of modern life that when you go to see something, you watch it in the raised cell phone camera of the person ahead of you. <laughs> who's looking at these raised cell phone so camera. It's almost like person. having your own mini jumbotron. No, no, because no, they're looking at the at the camera of the person in front of them. It's uh, kind of like being an looking. ant or a fly and having multiple eyeballed uh, reflector thingies. It's like you see twenty thousand different 20, tiny ones. Like, yes, yeah. it's like you know, <laughs> through, through a window, through a window, through a window, through a window <laughs> on the jumbotron screen. Jumbotron screen that was behind the risers at the White House. Facility, so it sounds lovely and very intimate. Yeah, it's not like His Holiness and I got to make eye contact. Uh, ironically, friends of mine who, who were not able to get tickets but who went along the parade route yesterday, mm-hmm. um, they have a spectacular picture that looks like the Pope was waving at them directly. <laughs> <laughs> so in the end, the, the special tickets at the White House ceremony, no good whatsoever. Just show up at the parade route and everything turns out just fine. So um, there's probably well, some- Let me ask you, um, as you know, the good Catholic boy that you ah. are... Yes. Yeah. Um, if you're a mom and dad are listening, um, I always think it's good to clarify. You know, did you enjoy seeing the Holy Father? Well, okay. Again, this is a we are this is our apolitical um, podcast. But let's face it: the, the, the Pope is this Pope is a controversial figure. All popes, you could argue, are controversial figures. Um, this is a, uh, a the Pope is for for my well, life. He runs just, kind of a country. Yes, no, no. The Vatican is an independent state, and who you know has close to a billion followers around the world. Um, what's worth noting is, in my lifetime, we're used to seeing a uh, the Pope as a figure on the right. Now, that people would say that's a gross oversimplification. Uh, the Pope John Paul II, what? Benedict, are are okay. too too easily. Uh, it's pigeonholing them to, to describe them as that. Francis is being seen as a person on the left. There are people who argue whether that's just the way he's covered or a reflection of his uh, the, the way his worldview was shaped by living in Argentina and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm struck by, and maybe it's a kind of reflection of the state of our culture in the year 2015, how many people um, just, just kind of expect the Pope to fit into that. And I'm seeing people who are usually um, like-minded with me really furious at this Pope. And I find it baffling. I, I can what see I find reason, interesting I don't get to is that, What I find interesting is that he's being treated like a rock star. People are literally on Pope Watch. He has his own hashtags. It's like Pope in DC, like Pope in Philly. I mean, it, it is literally rock star Pope. And of course, because he is a Pope that's known to be a Pope of the people, and he's actually getting out and taking selfies with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, this is a this this you know, one could argue he's doing more for the image of the Catholic Church by just being, you know, both controversial and himself apparently, um, than any Pope has done in years. Yeah. I think, you know, there, there, I find it hard to for the people who just can't find anything to like about him. Um one of the things that jumps out at me was the uh, we probably a lot of folks remember this that right after he was selected as the Pope. I mean, this is a, an institution that has always had grandeur to it. Has always, it was never, you know, 
um, technically royalty, and yet it you know lives a lifestyle that is that we kind well, of associate. The, uh, yes, with her and point. the whole like, well, let's face it, and the whole selecting of a pope thing, like outside of for those of us who are not Catholic, the idea of like the whole pope and then the smoke screen comes up and the whole like pomp and circumstance involved can be a little much. Now, having said that, you know, there needs to be some way to transfer, obviously, the power and that position, the leader of that religion, so to speak. And so how did they come to terms with this one? Well, I was going to say what I was uh, starting to explain is that after his selection, you're expecting him to go from one place to another in either the Pope Mobile or armored SUV or stretch limits and he rode on the bus with the rest of the cardinals <laughs> and here he is just hanging out with the rest of the guys and it was this um, remarkably humble image that I think uh, fit in well with that the, I, I must say like for people who are not Catholic I'm trying to come up with appropriate um, metaphors or parallels they may be more familiar with the only thing I can think of Mickey to the selection of a pope at least in my neck of the woods for the sheer amount of mystery uh, the sheer amount of debate and speculation and the sheer amount of uh, egg, egg celebration when it's finally selected is when the Redskins choose a new, new a coach. <laughs> uh, you know, there's the secrecy around Redskins Park. Snyder makes the decision. There's the bur- ceremonial burning of the old coach. Ironically, I went to Sorting Hat from Harry Potter. Like, the, the, you know, you go over to the sorting hat and it's going to pop out. Am I going to end up a Gryffindor? Am I going to end up the Pope? Or am I just going to be a Cardinal? Like, and the sorting hat pops out your number. <laughs> Jim, I think they could sell those little instant self-immolating Pope uh, coach cartridges at the at the snack bar. <laughs> you could yeah. probably get some home <laughs> ceremonies going. People would say, wait a minute, Jim, we've only got a, a new Pope once every couple of decades. The Redskins, it's... They, they only change days. On, they only change coaches well, on Tuesdays. Well, and, and interestingly <laughs> enough, the Dalai Lama was in the news this week also and discussing his successor, and uh, apparently mentioned that it, it would be possible. Apparently, that he could be succeeded by a woman, but he believed that um, she would have to be very attractive. She would need to be good looking if you were going to replace him. Because that's the primary characteristic of Dalai Lamas, as we all well know. Apparently, now it is. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know if it was translation or if that's like exactly what he said verbatim, but it was just one of those moments where exactly what Dave said it was like, right, because you want because, your Dalai Lama to be hot. Because this one's so hot. Right. Well, that's the other thing. Like, you know, hello, pot, kettle, et cetera. Like, what do you expect? You want a Dolly hottie. Uh, <laughs> hello, Dolly. say, hello, Dolly. Um, you know, here's two obs- a couple observations of the Dalai Lama. First of all, always respect leaders of other faiths, no matter how cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs you think their belief system is. Uh, to all the world's Buddhists, you know, I offer you nothing but peace and I do find out, however, there are certain Western practitioners of the Hollywood folks who talk about how spiritual he is. Uh, we all know the Dalai Lama is anti-gay, anti-masturbation, and now apparently possessed by the spirit of Donald Trump, right? <laughs> right? That, you know, my successor's got to be good-looking, all right? I mean, a really, you know, a, a hot... I want a real hot chica. I, I was I thinking Spanish. more of Zoolander, but okay. <laughs> it's a really, really seriously good-looking, ridiculously good-looking Dalai Classy. Lama. You know, huge, yes. Um, not what we usually associate with the Dalai Lama, but hey, you know what? It's his faith. He can uh, 
Well, it, again, it was just one of those things that struck me as being just kind of so on point with the craziness that has been the news lately and, and certainly in all the stories that we have seen. And uh, coming up in the next segment, we're going to uh, really kind of get our Irish up, I guess is a good way to put it. We're going to talk to Jim about one of the things that gets him more fired up than anything in the world. And then we're going to talk more about the Irish Mafia and specifically Whitey Bulger. Is he the myth, the legend, or is he just a cold-blooded killer? We're going to talk about that. I'm Mickey White. He's Jim Garrity. And we'll be right back. Jim, uh, from your producer, feedback, your Donald Trump impression is dangerously close to your Christopher Walken impression. (laughs) Interesting. I put my pants on, just like the rest of you, one leg at a time. Except, once my pants are on, I make gold records. New from KTEL Records, 22 explosive hits, 22 original stars, gallery. Oh, it's so nice to be with you. The great Sammy Davis Jr. Ooh, the candy man can. Smith Barney. They make money the old-fashioned way. They earn it. Welcome back. I'm your host, Mickey White, along with my co-host, Jim Garrity. And we were just getting into the one thing that kind of gets his Irish up, which is the New York Jets. J-E-T-S. No, I'm sorry. It's the, the undefeated New York Jets. Jets, Jets, the Jets. Title. You, should, uh, you should emphasize that. Um, you should emphasize that we beat the uh, the Cleveland Browns, which I'm sure to a Steelers fan doesn't seem like that big a deal. Um, seems like kind of just a pro forma. You schedule those down in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the standings. Well, we do, but it appears that the Browns put together a decent enough team this year. They won last week. Yes, they did. Um, and the other, t- see, the irony is, is that the only team the Jets have beaten that has won this year is the Browns because they also beat the Colts. In honor of our friend Becky Kavoian, I'm not going to gloat that much over that one. <laughs> uh, I would just point out that, that, you know, every team the Jets have played has been gripped by a quarterback controversy. Mm-hmm. Rounds, you know, all of a sudden, who, who should be their quarterback? Now in Indianapolis, the coach is denouncing Andrew Luck. Now, Jim, I'm very familiar with the syndrome that you've got right now. <laughs> it's both fear and pride. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. it's fear and pride mixed together. I, as a Steelers fan, I'm very familiar with this because you know that even though you're 2-0 and undefeated right now, that, you know, pain and heartbreak could be just around the corner for you. Yeah, it, it doesn't help to go into a, a game we should win. Next week we play the uh, Philadelphia Eagles, a team with more infighting than the Balkans. Yeah. And uh, the coach hates the players. Players hate the coach. Nobody trusts each other. Everybody hates them almost as much as they yeah. hate New England. <laughs> you look at their, last week in the first half against the Dallas Cowboys, the Philadelphia Eagles actually generated negative pie offensive yards. It, 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 was, it was ridiculous. <laughs> They're was really not doing well. It was, it was negative 3.14. Um, <laughs> so we should beat them. And, of course, that's when we, you know, you kind of have that. You, have that, you just kind of feel the ground getting soft underneath your feet. So um, I may be even more insufferable next weekend, but uh, we we will see. Um, but yeah, well, I was congratulations say, uh, on on your Jets currently being two and zero and undefeated. And, and Steelers, you know, that, that is something, especially as a Jets right? fan, that you know you don't get to experience very often. I would assume. Yeah, yeah, and, and the Steelers are, are um, two uh, one and one, right? Yes, yes, one and one. They yes, lose we lost to the Patriots. Ah, okay. Well, you know, speaking of forces of evil in New England. (laughs) (laughs) So Tom Brady makes a phone call to Russell Wilson, right? Hello, Tom. How are you, Tom? Good, Russell. Knock, knock. Wilson goes. Wilson goes. uh, Who's there? Brady says, Owen, 
Oh, and who? Oh, and two. <laughs> uh, good old 1970s NFL humor. You made me snort. Nicely done. Our topics have moved from mass to black mass. And no, I'm not talking about when Belichick and Brady get together in the offseason. <laughs> nice. Uh, so you saw, do you, uh, Mickey, did you go see the new Johnny Depp movie? I have not. I'm very familiar with the story um, and the and, and obviously the character that it's based on, Whitey Bulger. But I haven't seen the actual movie yet. It's it's something that I think is. Um, I actually have really mixed feelings about it. What do you think about it? I mean, your initial blush when when I first said like, "Hey, let's talk about this." What did you first think about? So I've seen, you know, the ads. I think they've done extended uh, scenes they've put on some of the cable networks and stuff. And it looks, he, I have a complicated relationship with Johnny Depp. Um, and I say this, I am like one degree of separation from him. Uh, somebody who works for his company is, is a, you know, kind of a, met him at a conference. We've kind of been buddies since then. So I don't like being critical of him. Oh, um, my God. Did not you, in yeah, public on a microphone. Like, Johnny you know, Depp. So last time I hung out with Johnny, no, um, <laughs> my close personal friend. Right, so here's here's the next question: What's the last non pirates movie from Johnny Depp that you liked? I want to know what the secret life is that Jim has that he hasn't been telling us about <laughs> Dave when he's just like chilling with Johnny Depp. That's all I'm saying. His close personal oh, friend. I can't think Johnny of any Depp. Johnny Depp yeah. movies that I liked. I really can't. He seems to choose strange scripts and stuff that doesn't just ring the American bell in the chest. And it's very, very odd to go down through his filmography. Just makes me kind of slippery and want to crawl backward like a crab. Well, some of it's very, well, all of it's odd. Some of it's good odd and some of it's bad odd, though. Um, And I've been a fan of some of his movies that I was surprised that I liked. Um, But the thing about it is... He's played the drug lord a couple times now, mm-hmm. and now he's playing Whitey Bolter. And now, obviously, just based on the, the trailers and the pictures and the, and the stills, they're not making him out necessarily, you know, to be quote unquote attractive or sexy in that sense. But there definitely seems to be an air of kind of the normal. We've talked about this before, but that air of almost celebrity associated with the mafiosa and things like that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the movies and stories that we have seen have involved mafia families. One, they're Italian mafia families. Um, two, most of them are not dealing with the actual hitman. Like, it, they, the hitmen are kind of, you know, side characters. They're the ones who get ordered to go do stuff. They're the Jimmy and the Bobby went and down to Florida kind of thing. And the difference is Whitey Bulger was the hitman. Whitey Bulger was a cold-blooded psychopath. In all kind of mafia mythology and history and legend, the story is that they don't, they don't kill women or children. He did that. He, he, he broke like every single rule of any type of organization that has been, you know, and he, he obviously was a big change in that because Part of why he had to go into hiding was because of the RICO laws, which we've discussed before, which is when they became, you know, this, the lower level guys, instead of going away for five years, were going to go away for life if they didn't flip. So they flipped. And this guy, though, like he, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't a businessman. He wasn't anything. He was he was a mercenary for hire. And sometimes he just killed to protect himself, not even for money. 
You know, I, I, I was going to say, I'm, I'm kind of, this, list is, this movie is kind of on the 50-50 list. And, and I think you're, you hit the point that, like, after The Godfather, Goodfellas, The Sopranos, you kind of wonder how much uh, new ground there is to explore in, in the mobster genre. What is this movie going to tell us that we haven't already seen other great actors performing here? Um, you know what I'm suddenly realizing, and I haven't seen any reference to this in the trailers or promotional materials, Mickey? If I say the name William Bulger, does it ring a bell to you? Well, it does to me, but that's his brother. Yes. The uh, 18 years, he was president of the Massachusetts Senate and then was president of the University of Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. All during the time of Whitey Bulger's, like, terrorizing of the city and then the state and Mm -hmm. then wherever. So, I mean, there's there's a heck of a movie to be told. Now, the the, the trailer isn't emphasizing this at all. And I'm wondering if it's going to include it. Mm-hmm. Or if, if you it's don't, that seems like a real big whitewash, by the way, you know. But also, well, like, I, yeah, because I mean, the cover-up and the there was a reason he got away with it for as long as he did, because of course, a rat is a rat is a rat um, was his big thing. But then he ultimately turns out to be, and I shouldn't be spoiling this for anyone who knows the story. He mm-hmm. ultimately ends up turning out to be an FBI informant. Mm-hmm. So we actually, in Goodfellows, was the story about a guy who flipped FBI informant. Mm-hmm. Um, you left that with mixed feelings about Henry Hill, right? And in this particular case, we know going into it that this guy's a sociopath, psychopath, whatever. And then I find out that Johnny Depp beat out, I think it was, I think it really was Leonardo DiCaprio, but it could have been Mark Wahlberg. You know what? It probably was Mark Wahlberg because of the whole Boston thing. Oh, a remake of... Um, but they both were fighting over the rights hmm. to do a, like, a movie about Whitey Bulger at the same time. And this movie's ready to come out, which means that this had to go into production almost immediately after he got caught. Hmm. Um, and they were fighting over the rights to do it like immediately. I don't, I don't know. Something about it really freaked me out because the Goodfellas thing, like the story of Goodfellas, etc., it... It was a true story, obviously fictionalized a bit, not much, um, but also released, we discussed, I believe, in 1991, and or, you know, maybe even later than that, I don't know. I know it's just uh, coming up on an anniversary now, um, but, but it happened in the 70s, and while this all happened quite a long time ago, the guy literally just got caught like two years ago. Yeah, again, again at some point, do you end up, w- w- people have argued whether the gangster genre of movies ends up glamorous these figures ends up kind of creating them as absolutely um, it does and, and okay, that's okay but you have to be able to separate like reality from the fictionalized version and what concerns me i guess is these are kind of set up like uh, and again you feel the burn as they because they inevitably always fall right at the end like even going back all the way to scarface like one of the best of the genre. And I'm a fan of the genre. Don't get me wrong. And I don't think that movies make people do crazy things. It's not like that. But I just think that something about this Whitey Bulger story really bothered me. And it's going to be interesting to see how it's told in Black Mass. Um, There are many really good books out there. And one is called, oh, God, I I can't remember the main title. And it's uh, The Bulger Brothers is the subtitle. Hmm. And and it's this, this discussion of basically how one could not operate without the other. And it immediately, if if you're a fan of The Wire, okay, it's like The Wire set in um, Boston with white people. 
with really weird accents. <laughs> but other than that, like pretty much the same concept. And so it's it's definitely worth reading a book on it or watching the movie and you know and getting some frame of reference to see how it was set up and the connections um, that were made there at the time. Yeah, again, I I understand Benedict Cumberbatch plays the brother in uh, in the movie. It's kind of like perfect, right? I like he takes really, someone from Massachusetts. <laughs> I was going to say, be interesting to see how he handles that accent. Um, but I'm going to also observe. I'd be curious about how they, if they deal with that at the end of the movie. Because do you know who ended up getting rid of? Um, uh, William Bulger from the University of Massachusetts uh, school system. Who? Mitt Romney. No kidding. Nuh-uh. Yeah. The, the rough, tough, you know, law and order Mormon uh, got rid of him after he <laughs> made his, his testimony was, I had the feeling he was in the business of gaming and whatever. It was vague to me, but I didn't think for a long while he had some jobs, but ultimately it was clear that he was not being, you know, he wasn't doing what I'd like him to do. That was <laughs> William Bulger's I had no idea. And somehow, for you know that that close-minded Mitt Romney thought that was not appropriate for university <laughs> president. That's stuff. amazing. Anyway, having discussed the mass and black mass, <laughs> we'll be moving on to uh, another development of the fall right after this. When it comes to the music of the '90s, anything goes. Right Living in the 90s. Two and a half hours of the coolest songs on two CDs and two cassettes. Check it out! You'll be amazed at who you'll find on Living in the 90s. They're sex symbols. What's up, Doc? Carrie Rock. Basketball stars. What's up, Doc? Rock. Legendary artists. Living in the 90s has the songs you know, the songs you love, and the songs you just can't live without. Can't touch this. There's only one thing left to say about living in the 90s. You're unbelievable. To order, call the number on your screen or send check or money order. Two CDs, $26.99. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And it's fall, and the fall TV shows are finally back. Except, I don't know about you, Mickey. I'm finding some of my old favorites. They seem like they came back wrong. Mickey, what do you do when a, a beloved show suddenly just comes back different after a summer oh this has happened to me many times um and and so of course you being the most sheltered person in the world i'm not shocked to find out that as you you know 30 something ish um finally have this happen to you which show has broken your heart finally well okay so you and i have discussed castle abc billion yeah, Stana Katic, I believe, is the, the lead uh, actress in that Cottage. one. And look, it's Cottage. There you go. Um, you know, Notion is a mystery novelist, decides to help out the NYPD. They have this great partnership. It's beginning its eighth season. They've made 152 episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, it took a very dark turn. They hired a new showrunner. Yeah. And on the one hand, I, I don't like what they're doing. 
Um, <laughs> okay. Well, anytime, okay. Anytime your show suddenly features, like, there's all kinds of, you know, we got to interrogate them for information, right? And so the the bad guys are there interrogating Castle, and you think they're gonna they're gonna punch him, they're gonna threaten to put a, you know, you know, drill him in the kneecap or, or something terrible. No, 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 Mickey. Of all the ways to be tortured, and I'm sure you spend a lot of time thinking about this, um, a plastic bag over your head filled with spiders. Oh Lord. And them crawling all over you and getting into your mouth as you scream. Um, mm-hmm. This is a little intense for ABC prime time, right? <laughs> this is, okay. you know, that, that scene lingered. And um, I'm not, so it, it wasn't quite small you, level. what you're telling me. Um, it, was a, it was creepier. And, did, you, like, and, did you reach for your blankie? <laughs> no, but the next day when a spider, you, you, were, you were listening to me on Skype when the spider attacked. That, yeah, oh my God, that's true. That's true. I didn't fairly, realize like, it was in response to that. <laughs> yeah, so it's not just cool and spider. Let me assure you, he did not handle it like a, um, quote, man. He jumped <laughs> up on the stool and raised his skirt. There may or may not have been some squealing involved. That's all I'm National Review, William F. Buckley established a strong tradition of spider killing. Go watch Annie Hall. <laughs> Having said that, what was bad about this one was not just that it was on the ceiling. It's that it stopped directly above my desk in my home office. It started coming down a strand. <laughs> this was a pretty much a direct aerial assault from the spider. <laughs> He's looking so up close. To, you know, Jim's trying to see Vincent's pr- Price's head on the spider going, help me. <laughs> well, and then he knocked it out of the, off of the little string and couldn't find it. Yes. And so that- now he knows it's running. And I'm listening into this whole thing. He's <laughs> the spider around. And of course, of course, like- of course, we're not on the air. So up, he's not up, using you know. the SEC rules either. He's just full of vulgarity and on, chasing you know. a spider who he thinks is out to get him. Well, he was. I mean, I pretty, you know, he gave me the finger eight times. That's <laughs> The spider was out to get me. Eventually, rough justice was dispensed by a shoe, uh, and the shoe was not on my foot. I actually took it off, and then I start you know, banging it, slamming it over and over again to make sure it was dead. See, uh, I suggested I burning the house down. Uh, that, was, that was plan B. Nuke it from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, so maybe that episode of Castle had me a little hyper about spiders. Um, <laughs> but here's, yeah, so again, here's like, my take on Castle. I'm going to give it, because that was only the first half. Um, one of the things that does concern me, obviously there was a showrunner change and one of the things they said that made me just go, Oh no, don't do that. Was that one of the, um, and it may have been the new showrunner, um, who was actually quoted saying this, but they suggested they were going to be less procedural and more focused on the character and character driven. That is the, in my opinion, like the death knell for any good show. Like, the minute they get off of, like, I can watch an hour of this, and it starts, and it finishes, and I'm happy, it irritates me. Unless it's set up to be a serial show. Procedural shows work for a reason. Like, mm-hmm. the lighthearted banner back and forth, you know, the, the you know, you, you know that they, they get a case at the beginning, they have some difficulties, loopity-loop, da-da-da-da-da, catch somebody at the end, fantastic. Yeah, and, there's, there's a rhythm to it yes. that's going to get disrupted by this new format. Look, to do a character-driven drama, it's just a higher degree of difficulty, and it, it's a good cast. I think, but I, I also kind of just can't help but wonder. You know, Nathan Fillion. We've seen him go on to doing some some movie roles and stuff like that. You know, when you've played a character for 150 episodes, at some point, do you feel like you've told all the stories that are left to be told? And 
I, you know, I, I don't want to turn against the show, um, but if you have to dramatically change the the tone of it and the style of it, um, you know, it's just going to be jarring to the audience that's come here and enjoy. Well, the past and that's why episodes. I'm willing. Well, I, I, obviously, in this particular case, I'm going to have to go to episode three because episode two is going to be the second half of whatever just happened, mm. and. So I want to go to three to see because they have been known to allow people to come in and do very stylistic episodes. Mm. Um, and, and again, maybe they are going to turn. And, and I didn't find it to be as dark as you did. I think you just got freaked out because you're afraid of spiders. Um, I actually thought there were points of it. I was, you know, I was kind of you had watched it before I did. And you, while not telling me anything, obviously voiced your disappointment in just the tone that you used. So I wasn't expecting much. And, and actually, there were moments where I was like, the thing that freaked me out, I guess, the most was Alexis, his daughter. And mm. they cut her hair. And it made her head look really round like a Peanuts character, <laughs> which reminded me of my little Abby, actually. Because, you know, um, for those of you who don't know, apparently you can go on and you can put in, put it, go to Google Bing, whatever you use, and write in peanutize me, and you can create <laughs> your very own peanuts character. I did it. I gave myself little pink pigtails. They're fantastic. Yours turned out well. Your, yours really does look like if Charles Schultz, if Charles Schultz was drawing you, that's, that's pretty much what you'd look like. People used right? to call me Charlie Brown when I was a kid. I already look way too much like Charlie Brown. No, thank you. I, I felt like mine was a good representation of me, but um, but I digress. I, I felt like Alexis's gorgeous hair should have been left long. I didn't think that was necessary to quote age her, mm. and that's what they did. Yeah, they're, um, they're playing. So I her saw up someone as a- tweet out. I saw somebody tweet out, um, and I think it was from a writer from Entertainment Weekly, but they suggested that she was pulling a Veronica Mars. And uh, and I thought that was great because I actually did not watch Veronica Mars, the series, watched the movie, fell in love with the character, went back and started watching the series again. Um, hmm. So if they end up taking Alexis in that direction where she's kind of working with her dad and and it could it could be a very interesting dynamic because we already like these characters. Yeah, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna dissent slightly. Um, one being that I always the Alexis character bothered me a little bit. That if if Castle were any more irresponsible as a dad, we wouldn't like him. The, the notion very much is clear that Alexis effectively raised herself. She's always been the more responsible of the two. She's always been the grown up. And again, we know that Castle's an exceptionally loving dad. He's just not the kind to you know tell her to watch over her and do you know help her with her homework and stuff like that. And I kind of feel like there's a little the idea of her. I, I don't know. There's something about that character that's never quite sat right with me. Um, and then the because second because you grew up in a bubble of of fantasy um, land. I, I I just kind of feel I like just it's, watched it's, a fantastic movie actually, um, a quirky little weird comedy called A C O D, and it's adult children of divorce. Okay. And it talks about um, how it, it's it's a funny it's a funny yet not for everyone I guess type of movie, but also like so on point that it was painful at times, um, because it talks about like the effects of like in in the case of Alexis, she's very representative of being very independent, you know, and some some turn out very well, some turn out very differently, but this particular movie focuses in on a character that is just um, 
he he's got all the great characteristics of, of every type of personality disorder that you want to watch on film mm. that make you giggle and then you realize you know that there's just all this family drama around a wedding and his old therapist gets involved he finds out that he's actually part of a book that she has written <laughs> And it's it's just, uh, you know, and so she decides to write a follow-up um, about what he was like after he grew up. And when I look at Alexis and after just seeing that book and hearing you say that, I think that part of your your trepidation was that is the idea that Alexis raised herself when a lot of people can relate to that. Mm. You know, there are a lot of people that can relate to the idea of being the grown-up in the relationship with their parents. I, yeah, that, that's probably a fair assessment of of my take on this. The other thing I jump out that jumps out at me is that they're dressing her differently, they're portraying her differently. She's definitely look. She's the actress has grown considerably, and when we first saw her, she was like fifteen, sixteen years old. Yeah, yeah, she's grown up um, right before so, our eyes. Um, I'm trying to who's the little? She was the young girl in Patriot Games, headed girl, and she grew up. And Dakota she did, Fanning. Uh, yes, yeah, Dakota was, Fanning. Um, she was in We're the Millers. Um, American Beauty, right? I'm not sure. Let me do a little no. quick googling. I have time. Go. Youngest actress. Watching a child actress who suddenly develops into a young woman <laughs> and starts doing very different roles. So, um, are you creeped out because you're attracted to Alexis now? Um, I'm kind of creeped out to see the producers taking what was once the cute, innocent, you know, young... But she's not, but she's not 16 anymore. Like, she is, in fact, like, if she were to have aged appropriately eight years, even if she was 16, that makes her 24. It's uh, Sky McColl, by the way, and she has already passed away at age 21. Really? Yes. Who? Sky McColl, the youngest actress on The Patriot. No, no, Patriot Games. Patriot Games? You're taking me back to my 30s. How am I supposed to remember anything from there? <sighs> you too. I'm such a great producer. Yes, both <laughs> of you. And I don't even remember what we were talking about Laura anymore. Birch, because... I'm sorry. Thank you. Is the was the you know very cute redheaded you know girl? What's her who name? Then, yes, is the disillusioned daughter in American Beauty and ended up doing much more um, uh, sexual roles. And it just kind of struck me. It, you know, it. it I, I recoil a bit from that, and it's not you know. Uh, so if we if we don't like it when we see the uh, the Disney kids coming off the assembly line and become Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, all that kind of stuff, but mm. she's been an actress and yeah. she acts, and so as she gets older, she gets more mature roles. Now, some choose to take more family friendly roles, some choose to take more artistic roles, some take you know more profitable roles. Uh, you're talking about uh, Thora Birch, who played little Sally Ryan. See, the name doesn't come to your mind, does it? Thora Birch. Thora Birch, redhead. Uh, no. Call me a stodgy old old guy, if you like. Um, stodgy old guy. Boy, does, well, boy does Dave know how to throw on the brakes to a radio show. <laughs> <laughs> Smoking well, tires and everything. <laughs> Okay, you guys want to wrap this segment now that I stole the last two minutes and sent them down in flames? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I guess since I did have a couple other shows I'd like to talk about, let's go ahead and do that on the other side of the break and uh, talk about some other interesting things that have been popping around uh, in the culture this week. I'm Mickey White. He's Jim Garrity. And uh, you're listening to The Jim and Mickey Show. We'll be right back. This is Max Hedrum. 
And what you're about to witness is one of the most sinister-sounding intros to a trailer to one of the greatest epics ever produced in the history of television. And there's more. Because you are going to see it as well. Yes, it. Yes, it. Yes. Namely, the Max Hedrum story. <gasps> and afterwards, that is directly following, I want to talk to you about something even bigger. Namely, Max Hedrum. Now, 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 back to the Jim and Mickey show. Welcome back. I'm Mickey White along with Jim Garrity. And we were um, attempting to get through a segment <laughs> where we discussed some of the new shows that were out and some of the new things we were looking forward to. And somehow we got caught up on Castle and then it turned into a Peanuts thing. And I don't even know exactly what happened. Um, but I, I, at this point, I thought it was important to come back to the fact that South Park has been out. Say, everybody ever seen my balls? They're big and soggy and brown. If you ever need a break, pick me up. Just stick my balls in your mouth. Suck on my chocolate salted balls. Put them in your mouth and suck them. Oh, Suck on my chocolate salted balls. They're packed full of goodness. High in fiber. For two weeks now, there are two episodes that you can go and see um, on demand, I'm sure online somewhere. And for those of you who enjoy South Park and that type of humor, they have been on fire this this season. Absolutely on fire. Jim, are you a South Park fan or are you one of those, ah, that's not for me? No, I, I am a fan. I don't find myself watching it live or, or regularly, but I was just about to observe that it is one of the most buzzworthy shows, even after it's been out, like, what, nearly 20 years? Debuted in the 90s, right? Yeah, something like that. Um, and it, you, I still find either you or other people, people on Twitter, saying, oh, my God, I can't believe what they just did on South Park. Did you see that? <laughs> and you end up catching it online. In fact, I'm willing to bet that they probably have a bigger online audience than a lot of other comparable shows, just because so much of what they do, they do still pushes boundaries, still has that, that borderline, oh my, shocking, but also, like, they have something to say, um, and the fact there is a message in every South. As you know, my hashtag is South Park teaches. Mm-hmm. Um, I use that all the time <laughs> because it does. Um, I feel that South Park teaches in many ways, and um, it's it's always fascinating to me because every time I think like I have seen every episode of South Park, there is nothing they can do that can shock me. There is nothing they can do that can still make me go. Oh, and I can honestly say that the last two shows, specifically last night, I found myself saying, oh, my God, out loud. All right. Like, so oh, my God, <laughs> like that, in that order. With all appropriate spoiler alerts in, in place for anyone who still intends to watch these episodes, what had you gasping, Mickey? Oh, I'm not going to tell anyone because I, I think it's important for everyone to watch it because – there were moments, I mean, now they took on issues dealing with Caitlyn Jenner. They dealt with um, social justice warriors. They dealt with PC people. Um, they, 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 it, it, they dealt with Donald Trump. They dealt with the wall. They, I, there was so much in the last several episodes that, quite frankly, I, I don't want to give anything away outside of saying, they still know how to push America's buttons. Okay. Now, didn't the first episode have a lot to do with Tom Brady as well? Well, the, oh, yeah. 
<laughs> yes. There, there was a great deal. It was involving Tom Brady. I mean, again, they have a way of weaving so much pop culture and reality into their crazy little world out there in South Park that um, the, these first two episodes of this new season are absolutely fantastic. Some of their best work. So I don't know, you know, if they got a new weed dealer or... What? But it's really good. Well, maybe what it is is that you know the joke is if you're if you're in the social satire business, you know you're never you know you're never going to run out of inspiration. Um, maybe the biggest challenge is uh, keeping up with this stuff. You know, the, the, well, but the, not just you know, but inspiration, but actually being able to make it funny for everyone to watch. Now, I assure you, there are some serious pearl clutchers out there who <laughs> would not. Be pleased with South Park, it, even if its message was positive, so to speak. Um, or, you know, it, it may be very deep, dark, and hidden positive, but positive nonetheless. It may be positive under a song about poop. But still, um, it, it, it's very hard for them to get past that. I get that. South Park isn't for everyone. However, for me... <laughs> I find it to be one of the funniest things on television. And as I said, I find it to be a great teaching tool because South Park teaches. And it's a great way to get the youth involved. Well, okay. Actually, here, here's where I will challenge you slightly. Okay. Mickey, has South Park gotten the youth involved? You mean their demographic? Is their demographic involved because of South Park? Yeah. yeah you, you, know, you made that. No, but they're learning life lessons. And I think that's important. Okay. I'll, I'll I'll go along with that. I mean, that, that it's not a political thing. I mean, they're they're actually like learning life lessons from South Park. I think we're in a strange kind of diet split here, in that I actually think you're right. That the South Park has earned all the accolades going to it, and I think if you add up all the different places that you see satire, you see efforts to mock. Uh, the sacred cows, whether it's left, right, or center. Mm-hmm. It, it's all over the place. And yet we're in a culture that seems to be ever more dominated by social justice warriors and folks who do want to mm-hmm. censor and folks who do have these um, uh, you know, thought police type attitudes. You know what I'm saying? Oh, like, yeah. They're there and they've fought back about it about, about as vociferously and strongly as anybody. And yet they're seen, I don't know if they're necessarily influencing the culture. Um, so it's kind of strange that you can have this thriving effort against well, again, you know, you always have to understand that it's a cable show with a limited audience and, and it has more of a cult following than that of a mass audience. And mm. there are more people who talk about South Park than watch it. That's very true. There you go. That, maybe that's the finger on it. Yes. And, you know, I've said this many, many times that there are a lot of things out there that clearly Americans like to talk about that they either did not watch or they completely missed the meaning um, of it entirely. As in completely over their heads, just like going to see a children's movie, only you're the child <laughs> and everyone else around you is getting what's really the underlying story. And you're just kind of like, oh, look, a mermaid. <laughs> so what was the real meaning of the Little Mermaid, Mickey? Well, I'm sure it involves some form of oppression. But for me, I really like honestly, that was not one of my favorites. I like the fact that she was a mermaid, but I was like, why the hell would you give up being a mermaid for a dude? <laughs> because like being a mermaid seemed like the most awesome thing in the world to me at See, the time. You didn't find it problematic for the blatantly legist attitudes? 
No, I, you know, I thought it was cool and whatever, but I'm like, well, why can't you just be like a mermaid and then you can come visit him on occasion? But like, don't give up being a mermaid for God's sake. And the truth or is, could, she just doesn't like fish and never has. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, the idea that he could learn to swim and uh, kind of balances out there. Yeah, no. Or like I, I, buy some scuba gear. I don't know. Anything. It, it just, I found it oppressive and insulting to the mermaid American community. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Time for an action Maybe committee. Maybe I'll be a mermaid for Halloween. This is a group that is so hated by the American public that its approval has always been underwater in opinion polls. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, God. The puns have begun. Don't be crabby, Mickey. <laughs> Don't be crabby. Nice. You let me blow right through the I might be a mermaid for Halloween because thinking about it, I've been trying to think of something that'll go with the pink hair. And, of course, Jim has been a suggestion um, along with um, someone from Josie and the Pussycat. Mm. And but I could be a pink-haired mermaid, right? How do you get around? Do you put that thing on and you kind of have to hop around in your in your fishtail? Well, I think in like costumes, your feet are out at the bottom, so you can walk. Okay, I could see that working. It binds her at the knees; only the bottom parts of her legs can move. Well, I'll be comfortable walking behind this you. Is not the best costume suggestion. <laughs> um, let's rethink that. <laughs> Great Halloween pratfall of 2000. That's right. Uh, <laughs> I would end up with bruises all over my body. <laughs> Worry about you know uh, razors in your apples. Worry about you know getting hit by cars, kids, and be careful of the mermaid costume. <laughs> She comes near you. Not approved. Girl in the mermaid costume. Keep a safe distance. Could be dangerous. Yeah, once you add alcohol, Mickey, everything will be just fine. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm certain. We should yes, just get yes. cold and an inner ear issue at the same time. And just I wonder you. if there's ever been a mermaid with a short tail. You just got me thinking so hard I can't even continue talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a thoroughly distracting topic. I'll have you know. <laughs> Somebody once did the mermaid in reverse, the idea of the fish's head with the lim- women's lower half of a body, and uh, it just kind of struck me as real, like, like if I said the worst of both worlds, someone would accuse me of making some sort of terrible sexist joke, but like, I, you know, it just kind of struck me as, yeah, there's a reason the mythology doesn't, doesn't follow those creatures. <laughs> well, and, you know, in all, in all fairness to The Little Mermaid, um, I am not one of those people who hates on Disney movies. I am... Um, I think there's a part of all of us that believe that for everyone, their true love is out there, uh, their true prince, if you will. And uh, we're going to talk about that in just a moment and say a few thank yous to some friends of the show right on the other side of this break. I'm Mickey White. He's Jim Garrity. And you're listening to The Jim and Mickey Show. I'm going to get some of Echo Baker's secret bakeware for my husband. He loves to bake. Nonstick prevents burning. Exactly. Poor guy, he doesn't know when his muffins are done until the smoke alarm goes off. <laughs> Whoop. This Thistle Pro Max carpet cleaner's on sale. Deep cleans. And you really should clean the carpet now that the baby's about to crawl. Can we just teach him to walk? Oh, sure. Then he can go shopping for us at Kmart. You're never too young to learn how to save money. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And we hate to close on a sad note, but there's just no way of avoiding this. Uh, a friend of the show, a friend of ours, Mary Catherine Hamm, is going through an exceptionally tough time. Uh, her husband, Jake Brewer, was killed in a bicycle accident last weekend. Uh, we were all kind of shocked, saddened, and, and just kind of just thrown by this. Um, she, you know, Mary Catherine is getting through this about as strongly as, as anyone can picture uh, the generosity of her friends and family and his friends and family. And so many of her readers and supporters has been amazing. They've donated more than 
$100,000 to a memorial education fund wow. for the education of their daughter and their child on the way. So everyone, please uh, keep them in your thoughts and prayers if you want to help them out a little bit more. Just Google the Jake Brewer Memorial Education Fund. And um, Mickey, we don't want to dwell on this, but uh, you know, it kind of just reinforces what's important in life, doesn't it? Uh, yes, it certainly does. And um, I obviously, you know, my thoughts and prayers are with the family and with Mary Catherine and, of course, the babies and the one on the way. Um, and certainly a difficult time for her. But it, it has been amazing and has restored my faith in people watching the way that people have responded to her. We know, um, you know, from her being a friend of the show, that she is truly a ray of light in a very dark world sometimes. And even though she is the one um, obviously most impacted by this tragedy, she has inspired others by her natural grace um, and faith and, and clearly love for this man who I never met, um, but now wish that I had. Yeah, and I think me too. That, that speaks volumes. You know, um, 25 years ago, I lost my wife in a similar sort of circumstance. And I think sometimes, you know, Dave, you know what, uh, what a person like Mary Catherine is going through right now at this time. And then I think, no, I really don't. She has a small child and another one on the way. And needless to say, it's easy for me to see in her reaction so far how much more gracious and smoother and self-aware she is in this time than I was. I pretty much went off the rails in every possible direction. And I think I, I can say because of my own experience that she will recover quickly. It will be some months of everything's just not right. And then slowly you'll start to laugh at jokes and slowly you'll start to realize that love and humor and all that is all around you just like it always was it's a, it's a thing that has a time and you have to go through the time and nobody knows really how long the time is it's different for each person but i think she's got a good start and god bless her she is surrounded by people who love her and you can't go through it better than that absolutely i think a lot of people are lifting her up in prayers and in their thoughts and like i said again she is such a bright light um in our community that it is wonderful to see that even in her time of sorrow, she is inspiring others. And I think that's really important, isn't it? I mean, you talk about um, putting things in perspective, Jim. It, did it give you a second to kind of reassess what was important to you? Ah, uh, you know, like we, you know, look, the, the day job is politics. Uh, you spend a lot of time being active in political causes and we all know that the online world can be a pit of vipers and nastiness sometimes and there's something about watching something jake brewer worked in the white house he was in the technology office um you know the the president issued a really wonderful statement and that's not something you know and, and every conservative i know was like that that really was beautiful words and he said that they will always the mary Catherine and their children will always have family here at the white house um, it's, it's kind of marveling right, to see folks left, right, and center all kind of look at this and say, this was a, a beautiful marriage between two wonderful, loving people creating a loving family and everybody in the world looking at this and saying, this is terrible. This is just about the worst thing you can imagine and wanting to help. Uh, our friend, other friend of our show, Guy Benson is the one who set up the Memorial Fund, uh, knowing that for everything Mary Catherine is, is going through right now, paying for her children's education is something that she will not have to worry about. And, you know, if anything good can come out of just about the worst possible circumstances you can imagine, that is it. I want to thank everybody who donated. I kicked in some. Um, and, and just, you know, 
something like this kind of just again just reminds us of how much of what we deal with on a day-to-day basis doesn't really matter. We're going to forget about it in 24 hours or 48 hours. This is something that really matters and um just thanks to everybody who's doing a bit to, to help somebody get through a tough time. And you know, you talk about things that really matter. People get caught up in daily minutia and you know, certainly I obviously have, you know, been caught up in a lot of different things that cause anxiety and depression and and all these different things, but sometimes um when a, when a real tragedy happens like this, it allows you to reassess your life priorities and get things in focus. And, um, you know, it's best to go and, and, and take the lessons of that and then reapply it to your life as best that you can. And, you know, I told you, you know, part of my regrowth over the last several weeks has been deciding my priorities. And, and of course, you know about my writing and you know that you guys are my priority, and the things like that. And Jim, I know, you know, you, we talked about your family this week and, and it it just is one of those things where it's important to take the time, um, to, to recognize what's happening around you. And I heard a fantastic saying this week, um, happiness is not a condition that happens to you. It is how you react to the things in your life. And it, it basically suggests, obviously, that it's a choice. Mm-hmm. And 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 think that you know one of the things that I hope that we offer our listeners every week is an escape for some of the crazy, a place where they can find happiness and laughter, and uh, find you, me, and Dave just hanging out here, and hopefully talking about things that they find interesting and fascinating. We only have a few seconds left here. Um, so I do want to say thank you to everyone um, who has been just pressuring everyone to have our show back on the air after we had some technical difficulties. And they are back on the air. You can now find us on iTunes and Spreaker and SoundCloud always. We are the Jim and Mickey Show. You can also search hashtag TJams. If you want to send us an email, you can reach us at the Jim and Mickey Show at gmail.com. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash Jim and Mickey show. Give us a like and start conversations with us right there. Once again, I'm your co-host Mickey White along with Jim Garrity. We're produced by Big Dave Perkins and you've been listening to the Jim and Mickey show. We'll be back next week. I've heard people say that too much of anything is not good for you. But I don't know about that. Many times we've loved and we've shared love and made love. It doesn't seem to me like it's enough. It's just not enough. It's just not enough. Used a little more cowbell.